0: Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. To be lockstep in with her recent album redos, I feel like we should just rename this year 2023 Taylor's version. Whether on tour, on the radio, or even on your television during NFL football games, Taylor Swift has dominated everywhere, including the box office. That's where Taylor Swift, The Eras Tour, since its release in October, has become the highest grossing concert film in history. She's amazing. I mean, honestly, as a mother, to see this one young lady captivate almost 70,000 people for th- over three hours and 15 minutes, it's amazing. And not to be outdone before the end of the year, Renaissance, a film by Beyonce dropped just last weekend and quickly notched its own historic opening. I actually took off work today because I was like, today is Beyonce day, so prepare the others and I'll be at the movie theater. I'm Jim Hankey, and on today's show, I'm speaking with Chicago Tribune film critic Michael Phillips about what the future of the concert film means to those still waiting to pay for a stadium seat in person, as well as those more comfortable on the couch. Let's get looped in, Chicago. As if Taylor Swift's Eras Tour concert film hadn't made headlines already, as of this recording racking up over $175 million to make it the 11th highest-grossing film of the year, surprise news came a few weeks ago that the nearly three-hour presentation is now headed to streaming on Taylor's birthday, no less, December 13th, making the Eras Tour rentable on platforms like Amazon, Apple TV, and more. Meanwhile, 32-time Grammy winner Beyoncé just came out with Renaissance last weekend. Similar in its concert film experience to Taylor's movie, but providing more narration and behind-the-scenes footage, it garnered the most revenue in two decades for a movie released in December. So what's different about these two films when you hold them up to the rest of what Hollywood had to offer in 2023? Well, beyond bringing fans to the edge of their seats with a full concert experience on a business level, these were unprecedented releases. See, Taylor and Beyonce didn't partner with a major studio to get these movies made, let alone into theaters. Their clout is large enough where they simply reached a deal with theaters directly through the largest chain in the world, AMC, to get them shown. In an age where we're still trying to figure out what the worth of a movie theater is post pandemic. This is a landmark move, showing that if you're a large enough star, you can bypass a whole segment of the Hollywood movie-making machine altogether. For more on the historic way these movies are being shown, and more on the year in film as a whole, I reached out to Chicago Tribune film critic Michael Phillips. I'm not sure if you'd agree, but I feel like the film industry is in the middle of some experimentation still, where like eras, like what we'll talk about a little bit. Hey, this is in theaters, but oh, surprise, now it's going to be on streaming. Or some of the production houses, they'll put something to streaming, but oh, it's going to do a week in theaters too. Do you think this is still sort of a a new normal, or do you think we're still toying with things in this kind of post-pandemic cinema world?
1: William Goldman, the Oscar-winning screenwriter, wrote Butch Cassidy, a Sundance Kid, and All the President's Men, you know, wrote a great book about Hollywood and many other books but you know his his three word Hollywood in a nutshell stands today more than ever nobody knows anything i think what that means for today's movie world is these conglomerates being formed they don't really know how to plan for anything they don't know what the pandemic's up to they don't really know um coming out of the strike finally settled uh you know they don't really know uh, how quickly they can look at the money they used to make at movie theaters as something that that is enticing uh, enough for them to return to. I tell you, my beef is with the studios and especially uh, complete disregard for the movie theater operators in this country. They've totally thrown in the towel. And I don't get it Uh, coming off the, I, I admit, completely unique phenomena of Barbenheimer this summer where you have... Uh, you know, a movie based on a toy that didn't look particularly good on paper, even with Greta Gerwig involved, and Oppenheimer Christopher Nolan's film, which look, I you know was, was eager to see both of them, but you know, you, you just don't expect them to turn into what combined Barbenheimer made 2.5 billion dollars in theaters around the world. It's not uh, really time to throw in the towel on theatrical yet, and I don't think studios and streamers have even learned the right lessons from the success of Barbenheimer. Now, which you cannot repeat. That's the main thing that you have to manage expectations with that because uh, this weird ad hoc marketing coup of the word Barbenheimer and somehow getting everybody excited about going back to the movies this summer in between variants was kind of a low point for COVID. To me, that was a real, uh, obviously it was a shot on the arm for theaters, to, to just get people back and excited. And those films were real movies and they had real appeal. And people, you know, people just wanted to see them and then they wanted to see them again. But to your question, nobody can feel secure about any financial plan in the future. But I, I, I'm i always concerned when you have a hit like Barbie, a billion point four dollars, and it is a gnat on the elephant of debt that. David Zaslav and Warner Brothers Discovery are dealing with right now, and they're cutting costs everywhere they can to get rid of it. And so if you got a billion dollar hit and that doesn't really mean much for your bottom line, then something is wrong with the system.
0: Well, before we get into the Eras Tour film and Renaissance, two films I wanted to reach out to you to, to talk about, what makes a great concert film to you personally
1: as a movie critic? Man, that changes depending on the music and the talent and and especially who's behind the camera. Sometimes the talent on the stage is more than enough. If you go back to some of the early seminal concert films like The Tammy Show from the 1960s, uh, Jazz on a Summer's Day, uh, Newport Jazz Festival film from, I believe, late 59, 1960. not sure about the date. But those aren't particularly flashy or interesting cinematic achievements, doesn't matter. I mean, now with James Brown doing the most insane dance moves uh, uh pre-prints, <laughs> you know, in the Tammy show, then there are exceptions. Martin Scorsese's The Last Waltz, uh, the one that just, you know, made more money in this 4K digital revival in theaters than it did the first time. Stop making sense, the Talking Heads film. I just couldn't believe how good that felt, looked, sounded, and made me feel all these years later. Now, let's take a look at the films that really made a difference this year in terms of the concert film map. Okay, you got Taylor Swift's film, The Eras Tour, almost a quarter billion worldwide. Uh, That's almost the entire concert. That's kind of the new format, very different from Stop Making Sense, about twice as long as Stop Making Sense. And it's most everything, not not all, most of what a goer would have heard in the Taylor Swift tour live how interesting is it visually it's okay it's good enough for the fans and i think a lot of her songs are actually a hold of great visually uh, just because the concert was such a huge production beyonce's film the renaissance film that's a different achievement because there's an awful lot of backstage work a lot of kind of here's how i made it Um, first-person narration going on, an awful lot of glimpses, carefully managed and monitored. It's not like like anything in this film is going to put anything like a single dent in Beyonce's image and self-image as she wants to present it. But the visual production of that concert live must have been staggering. I actually really, really wish I'd seen it. And I just like Beyonce's music a lot. Uh, That's another one where... You know, you're talking about almost a three-hour movie, and that's what people wanted from both the Taylor Swift and the Beyoncé films, and they got it. A nearly complete representation of the live show, and in the in the case of Beyoncé's film, the best visual ideas in that really lifted up. Of the two big ones this year, um, it's it's the one I was really happy to have seen. Well, you brought up, you
0: know, I kind of wanted to be there now in retrospect, as we see concert tickets rise. Is that a major question, I guess, going forward in, you know, having the ability, gosh, am I going to wait for them to put this into a theater? Am I going to wait for this to stream at home? Or am I going to go see this real flesh and blood concert? It's a real question, I think, going forward.
1: Of the metrics I would like to see coming off the success of both Taylor Swift's and Beyonce's concert films, I'd like to know the percentage of people that saw those shows live, because I think ideally you're appealing to both major audience segments in in these films. The folks that saw it live didn't pay their rent that month in order to afford the tickets, uh, and are very happy to revisit it at a fraction of the price. And then there's the rest of us who didn't see them live, uh, are just as much of a sucker for spectacle as anybody. And if you like the music, you know, and and in my case, I paid 33 bucks to see the Beyonce film in IMAX at the Regal in my neighborhood. Um, You know, not a cheap movie ticket as movie tickets go. But, uh, you know, I I think, I think these films actually appeal to both segments pretty widely. And there's some other financial matters that, that are going to end up really changing the industry with this Beyonce and Taylor Swift, both cut, deals with not with the studio not with Warner Brothers not with Paramount not with anybody except AMC theaters boom not just the middleman but the entire film industry as we know it cut out of the deal <laughs> you know streamlining the profits for the artists showcased by these movies and if I were Hollywood I would be nervous about about that trend because I, I don't know how well it'll work for anything other than a marquee name, concert film but man it sure worked twice in two months for these two yeah that's the amazing thing is that it would
0: take someone of their caliber to be able to continue to push that I'm thinking I got to see Ed Sheeran this summer at Soldier Field Mm. it's like that kind of level of like production then funneling that directly to fans in some way and and plugging that into theaters it's it's really amazing I think there is some crossover Certainly, uh, I like uh, a lot of Taylor Swift's music. I like a lot of Beyonce's music. So there's that Venn diagram. But what is the projection on the Beyonce film? Obviously, we've seen what the Eras Tour film has done in theaters. We don't know what it's going to continue to do on streaming, obviously. But in the industry, what's the projection for this Beyonce film, do you think?
1: Well, I can tell you what the, the Monday morning quarterbacking is telling us today, right that it's it's the, you know, it's the best December debut in 20 years, not since Tom Cruise made The Last Samurai in 2003. Who even remembers that film? You know, has has a mo- <laughs> has a movie made 21 million dollars over the weekend. Now, unlike the Taylor Swift film, the Beyoncé film uh, is actually a critical success too. You know, I liked it a lot and God knows I wasn't alone. I just happened to be the oldest white guy who liked it a lot. But that's, uh, you know, that's neither here nor there. I think, you know, Beyonce is a legit triple threat in every every which way, no matter how much help she may have had as director behind the camera on this. But, you know, this film has got her all over it in every way. But that's looking very good. I mean, that what does it have to do to beat the Taylor Swift film at the box office? If you want to play that game, it just has to make $150 million domestic or about $249 million worldwide. Will it get there? I don't know. But uh, you know what? It's, uh, it's already a profit machine, you know, based on the first weekend. So we'll see how it holds up to second. We've got more with Michael Phillips from the
0: Chicago Tribune after the break.
1: You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medella is your reward. Medella, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois.
0: You mentioned the Talking Heads concert film as well earlier that was rejuvenated in 4K i think that was a big selling point for a lot of people checking that out who obviously were big fans but maybe even some of the younger generation who had not seen that before and it was obviously uh, faithfully you know restored and looked great sounded great is that what needs to happen for you know these 40 50 year old concert films to come back we have the technology now to to revamp this to tweak it in a way that will get people out to the theaters what did you feel the technology did for somebody who had been a fan uh, of that
1: film, like you had been for so long. Yeah. So I went in a fan, right. Which is interesting is when I was 23 and I saw that film for the first time back in the eighties, I, I knew one or two or maybe three of the talking head songs. I was a talking head newbie completely. And then to kind of fall in love with the music and the visual sort of approach to filming the music and editing it and cutting just the right moments and all of it. I mean, that, that was like a, a really big experience for me. Now that, that film was not a cultural phenomenon when it came out, it made a little money. That's about it. And I guess compared to Taylor Swift and the Beyonce films, uh, talking heads revival in 4k digital, crispy, crispy sound, just great, great looking image, all of it. It's nothing compared to what they made, but it never was going to be. That's what the Talking Heads were. They were just kind of an odd pop art or art pop band with uh, kind of fascinating musical influences, David Burns tastes all over the place, uh, that happened to go mainstream, not in a superstar way, but in a star way, let's say. Very different with Taylor Swift and Beyonce. These are like mega superstars, so that's a different thing. I don't think anybody showed up in a big suit to see The, uh, you know, The Talking Heads, Stop Making Sense, (laughs) Revival in Theatres. But man, I saw an awful lot of costumes, uh, especially at the Beyonce uh, screening I went to the night before official opening. So, you know, different scale in the existing library of concert films. We don't have that many that are anywhere near as good as Stop Making Sense and are absolutely waiting for. A kind of a restored version, maybe uh, in 4K digital with kind of remastered sound, all of it. It's not really an endless list. But the thing you really have to look at, I think, is the success already uh, this year uh, of Taylor Swift and Beyonce and how the fact that they cut out the studios completely and just did the deal with the theaters, AMC theaters. That could be something that becomes more and more interesting to more and more different kinds of films and artists possibly so we'll see
0: well and we don't have to spend a ton of time on it but you mentioned the last waltz i mean it's one of my favorite movies for sure uh robbie robertson passed this year and i also saw killers of the flower moon i thought that was amazing too if killers is scorsese's last film i feel he put a great pin on an incredible career but I can't help but think in Martin Scorsese's shoes, looking at what Stop Making Sense did, maybe not even money-wise, but culturally this year, could we see a 4K redo of The Last Waltz? I think, and you've certainly got people like Neil Young in that movie and, and what have you, where like people are still, even younger generations, very much clamoring for yes, seeing yes. that sort of stuff.
1: Yes, I agree. I could I could absolutely see Scorsese you know, saying, all right, Maybe I'm done with $200 million features. I may have come to the end of the part of my career where Apple TV or somebody will give me one fifth of a billion dollars to make the Irishman, you know, same thing for colors of the flower moon, uh, both films, especially flower moon. I, I really like, and flower moon's in my top five mm-hmm. for the year. Yeah. Uh, but he's been hanging with musicians forever. He's been around music, music, the needle drops in his movies. Are famously uh, influential and effective, uh, and have become a cliche in many ways yes, because so many right. people have copied them. And a lot of people think uh, that the last waltz actually is the one. Mm. Uh, for me, it's one of the ones, but you know, there's others I haven't seen, and and I'm still, or I haven't seen it too long, so I, I, I I'm always hesitant to say this is the best one. <laughs> sure, you know? uh, because you know we we change as we as we age, and if we haven't seen it for 10, 20 more years, it's time for another look.
0: Absolutely. We're we're close to wrapping up, but looking through an article of the most anticipated movies of 2024 on rottentomatoes.com this week, I took the time to count them up. And there's 36 films listed in that article. And I think maybe literally one or two are a brand new story and not a sequel, not a prequel, not an adaptation of a TV show or a Broadway musical. And I think one of the things we keep hearing. From moviegoers is that they're sick of that. And you know, please give us original ideas. We don't want rehashes. But what did the numbers say? I mean, looking at something like that, it's pretty clear that studios are betting on people paying for a movie theater seat based on nostalgia.
1: Every project you saw on that list was probably green-lit just before the pandemic or just after. Sure. Uh and there's wasn't much to challenge the supremacy then of Marvel Cinematic Universe titles. Now, we're already at number 33 there. But if I, I, and look, money doesn't, you know, I'm a little interested in money as part of my job. Not really. In the end, if I look at the stuff this last year, 2023, that I just was somewhere between, eh, who cares? And, look, I've had it. Every one of them has a has a Roman numeral after the title. Indiana Jones Five. Don't care about it. I know it was a hit. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Hated it. Hated it. And other people like it. That's fine. That's fine. You know, it's a free country. They have the right to be wrong. Uh, Fast and Furious Ten. The people who made it don't like it. Probably. You know. And uh, you know the Quantum Mania. Oh my lord! I feel like I'm still in the quantum realm in that film. Like I feel that film is still going on. It feels <laughs> I I just left it at the three hour mark. Whatever. But that's a lot of Roman numerals, you know what I mean? And then I also get this, the sinking feeling, (laughs) jumping off the weird success of Barbie. The fact that it was a toy company, the franchise, hey, great. I'm going to, we're going to license every one of our toys for the movies. And we'll start with Barbie and see how it goes. Okay. Well, we'll accidentally give it to a really interesting writer director, says the studio and Mattel signs off on it. And, and then Greta Gerwig makes one of the best films of the year, it turns out. Well, then you see the list of the films that are already in uh, pre-production for them. And you start to get that sinking feeling. Maybe the Hot Wheels film is going to be good. I loved Hot Wheels when I was eight. Uh, but then you go through the whole list and you really think, okay, by Mattel movie five or six, are, 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 are what are we going to feel like? Like they're just going back to the same IP well. Now, hopefully we get any of those films. Turns out half as good as Barbie. It'll be a miracle.
0: Well, Michael, thank you for sharing your expertise with us this week. I really appreciate it. And we'll see you at the movie soon.
1: I appreciate it, Jim. Thanks for having me on.
0: This episode of Looped in Chicago was hosted, produced, and edited by me, Jim Hankey. WBBM's news director is Craig Schwalb, and our managing producer of national news podcasts is Myron Kaplan. We are now on TikTok. You can find us there at WBBM News Radio 105.9, and for all other social media, a quick and easy guide on where to find us is located at wbbmnewsradio.com/follow. Thanks for listening, and we'll keep you looped in again right here next week. See you soon.